In this episode, I talk about silence, the power that it has in general, and especially when it comes to prayer. All right, you guys, I have to tell you another update on our crazy house situation. We thought everything was done, but now we have a squatter. A squatter, yeah, a yoga instructor is squatting in our house. Every time I ask her to leave, she just says, namaste. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 92. That was obviously a joke. Um, Good to be with you. Let's get into our peak pit and plug. I hope you think about this every time you hear an episode. It's important to call to mind the good things that are going on, what you're into, how you're encountering the Lord, and the things you need prayers for so you can communicate those to your friends. But before we do that, a reminder to please rate and review this podcast. Highest compliment that you can pay me is to share this episode with someone that you know, especially on social media. Make sure to tag us at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram, and you can check out all of our content and sign up to be a Patreon supporter where you financially support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month by going to our website, manafoodforthought.com. So if you've never checked out our website, there's great stuff on there. I encourage you to do that, including our weekly blog, the Psalm Reflection that I write every week on the Psalm for the upcoming Sunday, which comes out every Tuesday. It's on our Instagram as well. So, without further ado, peak, pit, and plug. Triple P, peak, 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 peak. So, peak is that um, we're getting some new appliances and furniture. And that sounds like a very boring adult thing to be excited about, but I am very excited. Um, The appliances that we have um, came with the house, for the most part, um, when we bought our new house. And we were so worried about renovating and, you know, making sure we were on a budget that we just didn't invest in getting some new ones and we needed to they were just some of them were just really bad and so now with tax refunds and some stimulus things coming out we finally have the ability to do that so that's really great so um that's very exciting a pit though and this is a very first world problem pit but i tend i tend to have like just things happen when i make big purchases like just things don't go well and I bought an electric dryer instead of a gas dryer because I didn't know that we had a gas dryer, even though as a homeowner, I should know that. And so no big deal, you know, had to return it. it was a little chaotic that day, replace it with the order for a new one. But the gas dryer was back ordered for two months. So now I have to go back to the condo where we were living when our home was being renovated um, and the water leak was being fixed once a week to go do all of our laundry. So... um Yeah, so that's kind of a bummer, but again, not a huge deal. We're still very blessed to be able to have that coming. Um, We got a new oven, got a new washer, very excited. Going to get a new couch soon. Adult things to get excited about, you guys. New couch. So anyway, um, but that was a little pit, a little snag. Another small pit is that something is up with our cat. So if you notice, you know we have a cat, Chloe. She was my cat. She's 15. Um, I rescued her um, like a a year out of, of high school and I've had her ever since. And so, um, she's getting up there and she's still pretty spry, pretty healthy, but she's doing some things that, um, she hasn't done before. So, um, yeah, we're just kind of paying attention to that. So if you could just pray that, you know, things are okay or that things resolve that we kind of know, is there something up or is she just being stubborn and wanting attention? Cause she does that from time to time. So anyway, 
that's my pit. My plug is the big um, foundation for this episode. I mentioned it, I believe it was my plug in the last episode, but recently finished this book called The Power of Silence Against the Dictatorship of Noise by Cardinal Robert Serra. Um, and the link to that book is in the description uh, to this episode. And I don't know, I just was really moved by the book, and it's something that I've known and been um, involving in my own contemplative prayer and really trying to bring to prayer very often, and my own life very often, is just a a better relationship with silence and um, always kind of developing a posture of receptivity, of listening, of receiving, and not feeling like I always have to talk or respond, which is ironic because I'm talking to no one right now. I mean, you're hearing this, but in this moment, I'm talking to a microphone. So um, it's kind of ironic that this is about this. But um, And also, uh, we did a related episode um, on this um, a while back. Um, Episode 62 is an episode about when God seems silent, what to do about that. So if you're interested in that topic that's related, go back and listen to that episode um, on our website or on whatever app or device you use to listen to podcasts. But this book is really great, and I really kind of just want to dive into this idea and how it's it's a very dense, maybe not dense, but it does have a lot of repetitious theological conceptual language and a lot of like, um, yeah, it's just a very conversational theologically, but it's it's as if you're kind of reading the diary or the conversation log between two um, very well-versed theologians talking about silence. So if you're not used to that type of reading or that type of language, it can get kind of daunting. And so I want to kind of um, boil it down to what are some practical things we can glean from this book and how might we look at the idea of silence, not just in prayer, um, but in life and also externally versus internally um, being silent, because both are important, and how that can apply to our faith lives as disciples of Jesus and why that's important. So uh, this book, as I said, was written by Cardinal Robert Serra. He is uh, the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. So basically, he was appointed by Pope Francis, um, or maybe the Pope previous, Pope Benedict XVI, I'm not totally sure. Um, But he was appointed at one point in time to be in charge of the basically worldwide regulation and disciplines associated with worship, mass, and the sacraments. Um, and so he is very conscious of what it means to worship, what it means to pray, what it means to pray as a Catholic in sacramental um, language. And um, it's just interesting that this book resulted from it. So this book resulted from um, this relationship that Cardinal Sarah had with this person named Brother Vincent. Brother Vincent could not speak and was slowly dire- dying of multiple sclerosis when Cardinal Robert Sarah met him, and um, Brother Vincent lived at this monastery, a famous Carthusian monastery up in the French Alps called Le Grand Chartreuse, or um, Le, it's, I think, technically pronounced La Grande Chartreuse, um, but that is um, where he lived, and Cardinal Robert Sarah would go there and just sit with him. He would call him and pray for him, and he would hear, be able to hear Brother Vincent's breathing or some kind of response sometimes, but it was just kind of this, this relationship that was fostered in silence. In fact, Nicolas Diot, who's a French journalist who's quoted in the book and speaks in the book a little bit, he wrote um, that this friendship was born in silence and it grew in silence. 
and this whole book is about silence. Now, Brother Vincent um, ended up dying on April 10th, 2016, which is, I believe, after this book came out. Um, but I just think this whole concept is just so refreshing, and it's very, it's a very incredible and unusual thing in our day and age to think about, like, that there are people like Brother Vincent, I mean, not just people who are suffering of multiple sclerosis, but I think people who live the life of a brother in contemplative silence, because Carthusians, they take a vow of silence already at this monastery, and you only are able to speak, I think, in um, in the, the prayers, the Liturgy of the Hours, and then in essential conversation, and I think that's only for certain individuals. Um, so think about this, like, how many, like, how countercultural this idea is, because we all have this need in a world of social media, TED Talks, self-help webinars, um, everyone being their own expert, you know, TikTok, Instagram stories, all of that. Everyone is talking all the time. And yet, there are about 3,600 Catholic abbeys, abbeys and monasteries worldwide. And those aren't don't just have usually one or two people there. I mean, there's, you know, a community of people. So that's thousands of individuals around the world who not only have devoted their lives to the Lord in the Catholic Church, but have also devoted their lives to him in such a way that they live this silent, um, I won't call it isolated because they're in community, but this this life that's completely disconnected with the world and the noise of the world. Um, so thousands of people are doing this. And it's so antithetical to our existence because we are surrounded by noise. Now, I don't talk about this too often, but people who know me really well know that I have something called synesthesia. And synesthesia, it's basically a neurological condition where one um, sense or sensory cognitive pathway um, leads to the automatic response of another sense that's unintentional and unconscious. So for me, I have chromesthesia, which is a version of synesthesia, which is a sound to color experience. So any sound that I hear, voices, room noise, planes going overhead, cars going by, music, people, you know, speaking, talking, any any noise that I hear has a response in my eyesight, has a visual response. It takes the shape of um, shapes, waves, um, or colors, usually colors, around the kind of ombre or outside of my eyes. And I can see it, and the louder it gets or more intense it gets, it can kind of um, invade into the center of my view. Um, and so it's not a terribly uncommon thing. I mean, chromesthesia, I think, is in one in 3,000 people, and there's, you know, 7 billion people on the, on the world. So it's a little bit rare, but not super rare. Um, and a lot of people have some kind of synesthetic connection where they associate something in one sense with something in another. It's kind of hard to explain, but like, I don't know, we, certain colors or words will just sound you know, jagged or sound fluffy or, you know, I don't know. It's hard to explain if you've never heard about this before, but most people have, um, I mean, if you think of the word bubble, you know, bubble sounds like what a bubble is. It sounds round and, you know, um, versus spiky, spiky sounds jagged and pokey, you know, it's just like, so we have certain associations where we can visualize unconsciously something based on one sense without really controlling it. So anyways, I wanted to talk about that because um, I, I'm seeing sounds all the time. It's very, very, very rare um, when I 
feel I am in a state of complete and true silence. In fact, it's, it usually feels like a mystical experience because it's so rare. Um, it has happened actually most often in my life in the chapel at the parish where I currently serve. And there's no like soundproofing in this chapel. I don't know why it tends to happen to me there. It even happens to me when there's other people in there. Um, but there's just these been moments of very just complete total silence. And I've been in other churches and other chapels, but maybe because they're less familiar, my I'm seeing different sounds and different, you know, ambitures of the room or ambiance of the room, whatever the word is. And so it's it's less I'm less able to kind of settle into silence as easily. So I don't know what it is, but um, I'm just very aware of sound and how much noise there is. Um, there are often rooms where I um, I hear the electrical current and the lights or sometimes even in the walls and the outlets because it's just so strong or so um, like the, the insulation in the walls is not very good. Uh, this happens in a lot of like older commercial buildings um, and things like that. And so I don't know. I just think it's um, it's made me very hyper aware of how we are surrounded by noise. But that's a lot of that's external noise. And so I want to talk a little bit about external noise and internal noise because maybe you you know don't feel like you're overwhelmed with noise maybe you feel like you I don't know but I think we all if we're, unless we're living some monastic life we all kind of wrestle with one or both of these forms of noise so external noise is obvious it's things like technology news media sound social media music tv streaming services constantly you know going to webinars and Zoom meetings and phone calls. Like there's, we're constantly surrounded by devices. I mean, you're listening to this on a device right now. Don't stop. Wait till the end of the episode to stop and reflect on silence. But, um, you know, we're constantly feeling this need to fill the void of silence with stuff. Endless streaming or endless watching going down the rabbit hole on YouTube. Um, endless scrolling on social media constantly having music playing in the car or while we're working out or constantly listening to a podcast or having to hear something to go to sleep at night. Um, That stuff is all external noise. But there's also internal noise. And we all struggle with this too. And I think this is the biggest struggle when it comes to prayer. I think when we're really trying to be conscious of like, okay, I need to go pray. I'm going to schedule this time to pray. Maybe I'll even go to a chapel or to a church to pray, to be quiet we get there and we've eliminated a lot of the external noise. But then what wells up is all the internal noise. And we start thinking like, what should I be doing? How should I pray? Like, why can't I have a clear head? Am I hearing God or is this my voice? Uh, and then we get into prayer and um, to say like, you know, what what should I be doing with my life, God? Do I have to do all these things? Am I doing enough? Will I get fired from my job? Will I find a job? What does that person think of me? Um, am I, you know, doing everything I'm supposed to be doing for my faith or for my family? Who am I? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? You know, all these things, or it's just like squirrel or I'm hungry, KFC, you know, like whatever, like all these things just kind of flow into our mind because we're so used to the inundation of external noise when it's absent. I think our subconscious brain has just been programmed to like fill the void in our mind with stuff. And because there's no external thing causing that, all these kind of fundamental questions that we think about in the back of our mind, but never maybe have time to really consider, flood into the forefront of our mind. And they're important questions. But I think it prevents us from really being able to get into a place of prayer where we actually can hear answers to those questions. Because God speaks in the language of silence. 
God speaks in the language of silence. And so I think a lot of times people mistakenly believe that if I can get to a place that's quiet enough, if I can clear my mind and make it empty enough, I will hear the voice of God and he will say, your name, I am God. And here's the answer, you know, and that will be this big, you know, that will be the central story in our testimony and our whole life will be figured out from there. That's not how it works. God speaks in the language of silence in the same way that a couple can speak to one another without saying anything. You know, and that's both good and bad. Like you can tell someone you know really well, someone who you love, what they're feeling or what they're trying to say to you just by looking at them. You know, you might know this if you have a really close friend or you're married and you're at a party or a social gathering and you're like, we need to go. There's kind of this like unspoken, you know, uh, language that you can speak with just your, your eyes or your face or just like knowing each other where you can communicate something. Um or when a couple, I've, I use this analogy often, when a couple has just been married for so long and their house has been filled with the noise of family and children, and the children move out and then they can kind of retire and rest. They can have this tendency to, to sit in, in a, um, a quiet room together for an hour or hours and just read or be in each other's presence and not need to speak, but still completely enjoy their time together. Um, now there's a different version of that where they're not speaking and not enjoying their time together and that's different, but, um, there's still a language that is spoken in silence. So if we bring this preconceived notion that God will speak in a noisy way, like the world speaks, we will probably be too busy listening for loudness, listening too loudly to settle into the silence of God's voice. You know, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. But I think people are often confused by that verse because they we automatically think we can't we always need to be talking. We always need to be engaging in God with God in prayer. No, prayer is a relationship. So to pray without ceasing means that you are in a relationship with God without ceasing. We must always be in relationship with God in the same way I am always married wherever I go. I think about my wife. I act a certain way because I'm married. I avoid certain situations. I call and text her throughout the day. I live my life differently all because of that one relationship. Our relationship with God is the same. Being present to him and then creating spaces where there's no distraction internally or externally so we can really focus and enter into that relationship so he can speak. We have to be tempted to not fill our prayer life with stuff. You know, like, you know, novenas are great. The rosary is beautiful. The Divine Mercy Chaplet is great. Reading scripture and Lexio Divina, that's all great. We should do those things because they help us to encounter God in different ways. But fundamentally, we need to have that base relationship with him, which is a relationship that's fostered through time, spending time together. And, you know, essentially, I mean, think about when you were young. And you were making friends in, you know, middle school, high school, elementary school. You know, you're not necessarily catering all these experiences. You know, like every time we hang out, we go to Knott's Berry Farm or something. Most of friendship and building relationships is just constructively wasting time together. It's not about filling it with pre-planned or routine things. And the same needs to be true of our relationship with God. You know, if I just fill my relationship with God with stuff, the same prayer routine every day, that would be the same as if I filled every interaction with my wife with pre-planned date night materials or a pre-planned conversation with the same questions and responses every single day. 
So having a routine in prayer cannot mean being inflexible or being monotonous in prayer. You can have a routine in prayer that's like, okay, for 30 minutes every day, I pray from this time to this time. But maybe varying up the space that you're in, the way that you're praying, uh, how much talking or listening that you're doing, whether you're doing a you know, novena for those nine days, and then take a break from a lot of the petition um, or intercessory prayers, um, and really, you know, focus more on getting back to that place of silence and contemplation. This reminds me of what Jesus tells us about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who, who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. He says, amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. They wanted the accolades and the attention of people. Verse 6, but when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. In praying, don't babble like the pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Sometimes I think we repeat things in prayer over and over and over again for control or a sense of power or attention, like, God, I really need you to know this, and I really need you to do this. If we're doing that, we're babbling like the pagans. That's what pagans used to do at this time. They would continue to incite petitions or the name of their gods to try and bend the will of those gods to do what they were asking. But we are allowed to repeat in a meditative way, as a meditative tool with prayers like the rosary or divine mercy, because it's not a means for control. In fact, it's a means to surrender control and to listen, to get to a meditative place where we're receiving. But what I really like about this passage is that Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret. Houses at this time did not have multiple rooms with doors. They were, they were big open areas with maybe little half walls or sections where you would sleep, cook, and, and dine. But a lot of life was, you know, lived out, um, you know, out of the home or in community. And it was more of a, a functional than like a, um, you know, a big, you know, I don't know, multi-roomed place to hold all your stuff. You know, we have to remember the kind of life Jesus was born into. And so go into your inner room is really an analogy for the fact that we need to go into ourselves. Close the door, meaning separate ourselves from everything outside of ourselves. The idea that we want to appear holy, that we need to perform or fill our prayer life with stuff because holy people do holy holy things in prayer. They, they're always doing stuff. No. We need to pray to come to God humbly and hear his voice in the language that he speaks, which is in silence. We do not need to control God. He's already in control of everything. He knows what is good for us. Like it says in Psalm 139, Lord, you've probed me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand. You understand my thoughts from afar. You sift through my travels and my rest. With all my ways, you are familiar. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it all. So essentially, there's no need. We never have a need to speak in prayer. We can have a desire to speak in prayer, and a lot of times that desire is good. It's well-intentioned, or it's for a particular purpose. We want to intercede for someone there with us, or we want to make our requests known and make them tangible, and sometimes we have to name them. Or especially if we need help with a particular sin or struggle, we need to name it out loud so we can claim ownership of it. But I think a lot of times we fill silence with noise, with talking, with stuff, devotions, because we do not trust that God will do what he said he will do. We do not trust 
that with all our ways, he's already familiar. And even before a word is on our tongue, he knows it. And he's already working to achieve our greatest possible good. We fill the silence with words instead of listening because we want some sense of control or ownership or direction. We want to understand. We're not willing to give it all up into the hands of God because we secretly feel like he's going to do something different. And when he does, it will probably be worse or it will be bad. And we need to remember, like, God is for us. There's nothing we need to make up for. He knows what he is doing. And it is all for our greatest possible good. He's not some bumbling idiot up there in heaven who needs to be reminded of our petitions every day because he forgot or he's got too much to do. No, that's us. We're the overwhelmed, overcommitted ones who are always forgetting to do things. Not God. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You only, you have only to keep still. To be in the silence. And all of this, it reminds me of this really interesting... Um, story of this artist named Marina Abramovich and she has this very she had this very interesting relationship with this former lover named Ulai and they um they were together for many years and eventually they broke up and um they decide in this very dr- dramatic artistic fashion to go to either end of the great wall of china and walk toward the middle I mean, the Great Wall of China, you guys, is like over 13 miles long. So I don't know if they really went to the ends. But I mean, this is a pretty dramatic artistic thing to do. So I wouldn't be surprised. But they they decided for when they decided to break up, this would be their last moment together. They'd walk or they'd walk from either opposite end of the Great Wall of China. They'd meet in the middle and embrace there. And that would be the last time they ever saw each other. So anyways, so that's the, the background story to um, this artist Marina, then 30 years later, decides to do a live art performance. And it basically consisted of her sitting at a table and she would, she was across from an open chair and anyone could come and interact as part of this, um, this art installation. And she would sit and maintain eye contact with you in complete silence with the stranger for you know a minute or more and um a lot of people showed up and there's a video of this that i'll include in the um in the description of the video uh it's called a minute of silence but little did she know that after 30 years of not seeing him ulai was there and he got in line and she's looking down and it's his turn he sits down in the chair and you can tell he looks nervous no words are spoken And she looks up and sees him. And in the silence, you see the 30 years plus of history, emotion, longing, love that they shared, memories they shared, hit her face. And it brought this whole art installation to life in a different way because, yes, there's value of sitting and maintaining eye contact with someone, just looking at them and like receiving who they are and maintaining that eye contact. Um, There's a really beautiful exercise of doing that between, you know, loved ones or people who um, are in relationships sitting for, you know, three to five minutes without laughing and really seriously just maintaining eye contact and just receiving the other person. And studies show that when you do that, like it can decrease tension, it can increase intimacy, like it has this really profound effect on people. 
And so she was trying to communicate this in this art installation with strangers and how strangers could then report later how that impacted them, just being seen and seeing someone else and no preconceived notion or plan as to how a conversation had to go or how a first impression was being made or how you were being you know, judged or received in a conversation. It was just sitting them with them. But then Ulai sits down and it was just, it was obviously such an emotional and shocking moment for her. And she tries to carry on, but it's, it's almost like they're both like unable to, you know? And when I first saw it, I was fighting back tears. It was just like, I could see without a word needing to be spoken so much of relationship, of love, of intimacy in just the silence. It was just very, sorry about that. It was just very beautiful. So I encourage you to check that out um, because I think it's a lesson for us in the ability to find meaning, to find deep, profound truths and realizations, and especially to dialogue with God in silence without feeling the need to fill the silence with stuff and just listen and receive And I know there's probably a temptation listening to this for you to think like, well, then what am I doing in prayer? Like, you know, my prayer life is just going to totally suffer. And I think there's a problem with that question. Like, you know, we're, it's like the phrase, we're human beings, not human doings. You don't always have to be doing something. In fact, some of the most meaningful experiences, relationships and interactions of your whole life, if you honestly look at them, those memories and those interactions that you had, they didn't involve doing anything, simply being together while going through life, being together in a, uh, a moment, whether a moment of grief or a moment of joy, a moment of laughter, or a moment of sadness. That's where real life, real moments of growth, friendship, and intimacy happen. And the same is true with God on a, an exponentially larger scale. And so I want to encourage you to spend time in silence. If this is something that's difficult for you, I would encourage you to look up things like centering prayer, contemplative prayer, silent prayer, mental prayer, um, and really try and develop some practices or tools or strategies to incorporate this into your life. Um, but eventually, or um, essentially, um, it's simply about getting into a place of prayer and having something or some way you can focus on God or the presence of God in that moment. And trying to clear your mind of everything but what you want to bring to prayer, who you are in that moment with God. And so a good practice that I like to use and like to instruct people to use, especially as they're getting familiar with silent prayer, is to be aware of distractions that will come up, the internal noise that will come up inevitably when all the external noise is taken away. And so to choose a name for God, usually Jesus is, you know, the one I recommend just, and just to repeat that name, Jesus over and over again, out loud or in your head, anytime you feel distracted or unfocused and to pair that name with an image of Jesus. Um, so if you have a favorite image or you picture his face a certain way, anytime you get distracted or unfocused or need to return to that place of just silent prayer, Keep repeating um, that name, Jesus, and visualizing that image until the distraction passes. You acknowledge a distraction. You can say in your mind, I'm being distracted by this, and I see that it's here, and I'm just going to pray that it leaves. Jesus, 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 and just continue to get yourself back to that place. Um, Being aware of your body, being in an upright position that's also relaxed, not holding any tension. And in a place where all your devices can be turned off, turned away, everything is off, you are in a place of silence. Your phone is not on or even on vibrate. You know how that's going to distract you. 
if anyone needs you, just tell them, hey, I'm here at this place um, in silent prayer for 30 minutes. Or if you're doing it in your home, like someone can just come and get you if there's an emergency. So, um, you know, to not always expect there's going to be some like life-threatening situation you have to be connected to a device for. Um, that Those are things that prevent us from real prayer. So look up those kind of strategies or adopt them to try and incorporate this into your life. And if you're a very fidgety person, you get nervous in silence, try just like get to a place where you can do 30 seconds or a minute of silence without feeling like anxious or distracted. And when you are really comfortable and settled in that and feel like, okay, I can do that and get to a place of prayer and then I can do my kind of prayer routine that I like to do apart from that, just extend that silent time two minutes, four minutes, eight minutes, like keep doubling it or adding a minute and finding that, you know, um, that sweet spot where, you know, you feel like, okay, I'm being stretched a little, but I can still do this and then perfect it to where it's easy and then add more time. And then before you know it, you could probably sit for 30 minutes in complete silence and enjoy the presence of God. And you'll begin to have these realizations, these moments where God just enters a thought into your mind or enters just like uh, reminds you of a scripture or reminds you of a memory where uh, or an encounter you had with him or just gives you this sense or a feeling where you just know he's there and you know he's got this particular intention or this question um so i think i don't know i think that's very helpful for me at least like entering into a place of prayer quieting my mind acknowledging all of the things that are kind of really on my mind or my heart that i want to bring to prayer and then not feeling like I need to, to articulate them in a particular way or do any particular devotion, um, but just being in the quiet presence of God. In fact, when I do those like routine things I like to do every day, like journaling on the readings for Mass, doing the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, all of that, I usually do those at a separate time because I don't want that time to be conflicting with my need to be, just be in silent prayer with God. Usually when I'm in silent prayer, I'm in a holy place. I'm away from distractions, so I'm either outside or I'm at a church or a chapel or I'm in my car where I can be free of any external distractions other than driving. Pay attention to the road, people. But um, at least where I'm not, you know, I'm alone in the car. I'm not being talked to. I can turn off the music, things like that. Um, those are the places where that kind of experience of silence and just contemplation are most fruitful for me. But if this is something that's a struggle for you, if you need a saint to help you to be your patron for this uh, form of prayer, I offer to you St. Bernard of Clairvaux. St. Bernard, he lived from 1090 to 1153, so in the medieval era, um, right around uh, the aftermath of the schism in the church between West and East. He was born in Burgundy in France, and he ended up dying in Clairvaux, um, which is a modern, um, the modern-day part of a region of Champagne in France. Um, so he lived, uh, born and, and died in France. His feast day is August 20th, which is the day that he died. And he's the patron of the Cistercians, which is um, an order that tends to have a lot of these monastic communities. Um, and he's also the patron of the Regent of Burgundy, and he's patron of these other cool things, the Knights Templar, beekeepers and candle makers and i think that's probably because the cistercian monastery where he was or where he was the abbot um or cistercians in general i don't know this someone can tell me um um harvest bees and their wax and honey and things like that to make things like candles and stuff like that um so i think that's pretty cool but 
Um, St. Bernard's parents, they were of one of the highest nobility in, in that region in Burgundy in France. So he was very well educated. He took a liking to literature. He wanted to study the Bible from a young age. He had a devotion to Mary from a young age and his mother died at 19. And, um, during his, his youth, he didn't escape a lot of trying temptations. And around that time, he had thought of just kind of retiring from the world and living a life of solitude and prayer. He was kind of over, this life of temptation, his mother passed away, he kind of, I think, took it as an opportunity to really assess what's my life about. And so he wanted to be admitted to the Cistercian order. They were already in existence um, for a little bit before that. Um, they were, I think, a reformed movement of um, the rule of St. Benedict and the Benedictine um, um, order. And so at 22, um, he was you know, praying in a church and he felt a calling to enter a specific monastery called um, the Monastery of Citeaux, which is um, which was a monastery that was devoted to um, reforming kind of the rule of Saint Benedict and bringing that reform into its practice. So he his testimony uh, and his witness of wanting to do this it was so irresistible and so uh, magnetic that thirty of his friends, brothers, and relatives followed him into the monastic life. Thirty people, isn't that crazy? Um, and coming from such a noble and like, you know, a place where he had all these possibilities at a time in our, in history, Western history, where like, there was a big disparity between rich and poor, um, arguably maybe bigger, or maybe not even nearly as big as there is now, but I mean, you can kind of visualize that. So anyways, that's another rabbit hole that I'm not getting down right now. But anyways, one day, um, to, um, when he was young, he, this is how serious he was about entering um, the monastic life and entering into this place of, of silence to get away from the noise of temptation, the noise of the world, that one day he was, he was struggling with lustful temptations. And so he threw himself into uh, ice cold water. And then there was another time while he was sleeping at an inn, uh, a prostitute was introduced um, to him and she was naked and he um, saved himself and his chastity just simply by running away. And so, like, he had this deep devotion to, like, not fall into worldly temptations and worldly noise, whether that's temptation, uh, the noise of temptation and lust and living for the world, or just the noise of the hustle of probably nobility and achievement and power and all of that. Um, And so he ended up entering the um, Cistercian Order around that age of 22. And um, when he was 30... He became the abbot. So only eight years later, he became the abbot. And he people just really took a liking to him. And he uh, continued to write. He was very influential. So much so that he was actually asked by the bishops of the Council of Troyes to serve as secretary to the council. And that means he was the one who drew up all the statutes for that, that council. Um, and it was at that council that Bernard... Um, traced the outlines for the rule of the Knights Templar. So, and that soon became the ideal of Christian nobility, which is why he's the patron saint of the, of the Templar Knights. Um, so he served during that time um, post schism between East and West. And there was also a time during his life where there was a schism in the church because there was an anti-pope who was falsely elected along with a valid pope who was Innocent, Pope Innocent II. Um, and he was also serving during the time of the Second Crusade, and this entire time, he was active and sought uh, and sought after as a leader and a brilliant theological mind in the church. But he still maintained this monastic life. And so I think sometimes we also think like, 
if I'm going to take on this very austere type of living or withdraw from society to be this contemplative and be silent, like I have to give up all these worldly things. Like, no, like you can be in contemplative prayer in a crowded room. If you know and have practiced the tools to be able to, to just be in a place of mental solitude and connect with God, you can do that. You can do that in a place of deep external noise. But usually we need to cut out the external noise to be made aware of all the internal noise so that we can quiet both, develop the skills we need to be more contemplative, to be in silent prayer. And then we know how to handle internal noise and external noise when it comes is just like nothing. You know, it's, you know, we know how to get to that place regardless of what's going on around us. And so, um, but anyway, St. Bernard, he ended up dying at the age of 63. Uh, he spent 40 years in the cloistered life. He is considered a doctor of the church. His title is the mellifluous doctor, which means um, sweet or musical. So his voice or his words being sweet or musical um, or meaning pleasant to hear. Um, and so I find that interesting because there's this line in the book um, that Cardinal Sarah writes something to the effect of, um, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, um, the holiest people that he knows or is made aware of are not people who speak a lot or talk a lot or feel the need to talk a lot. And I think like when we cultivate a love of silence and the skills of silent prayer, the words we say may be fewer, but they're far more meaningful and impactful because we consider them more heavily and more carefully. And so I think this is why I think a lot of the best speakers, both in the church and outside of the church, are introverts because they don't have this tendency to be in extroverted social situations, constantly talking, constantly gabbing, you know, conversing. It's not that they're like all isolated and they don't talk to people, but I think it's just a different relationship with communication. Uh, it's easier for them maybe to be the listener, the the empathetic person versus the person who's always chatting. So I mean, that's a big generalization, so please don't take offense to that. But um, I think this kind of life that St. Bernard can inspire in us, a life that he led, can show that you can still have this presence in the world, uh, an ability to use the gifts, to speak, to dialogue, to, um, to live in the midst of noise but not succumb to the noise and be able to get to a place of real silent relationship with Jesus. Um, my favorite quote from St. Bernard of Clairvaux is the three most important virtues are humility, humility, and humility. And that is what is required when you are being silent. Humility means I have nothing to offer. I can only receive. I am small. In the words of St. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. Um, and taking the dispositions of, of silence and prayer means, yes, I'm surrendering all control. There's nothing I can offer this conversation of prayer that God, you don't already know, or that you can't already envision a way of doing better or granting my intention better than I imagine. And so I don't need to say anything. You desire that I do, just like with my children, like I can sit quietly with them and just hold them, or they can sit and talk to me and entertain me, and I love them equally. But there's a different type of communication that happens in those moments of silence. And so we need to have a posture of humility. St. Bernard of Clairvaux is a wonderful example of that. So pray for his intercession as you're seeking to be more silent, more contemplative in prayer. And just try to, just in your daily living, listen more, talk less. If you're in a meeting at work or um, in an organization that you're involved in or you're talking with a friend, see what happens if you just kind of take a back seat and listen more. And kind of wait for other people to respond and receive it and um, take it in. 
and especially try and apply this to your prayer life. And I guarantee you, if you put it into practice and you do it in a fruitful way where you're really entering into silence and not being externally or internally distracted, you will experience a deep transformation in your relationship with Jesus. I, it's, a, it's a Matt Zemanek mana food for thought guarantee, stamp of approval put on it. And if that doesn't happen for you, talk to me and we'll figure out why. So uh, thank you for listening. Know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.